you want to say, hey, I can provide value. I can provide a, provide a product and a service that will be at a value to your organization. I didn't say cheap. I didn't say inexpensive. I said, you want to add value. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here with Chloe Guidry-Reed, and today we're joined by Daryl Leisure, Senior Principal Lead at Chick-fil-A Corporate. With over 20 years at Chick-fil-A, Daryl is responsible for supply chain leadership in the areas of innovation, apparel, STC brand, and supplier diversity. Welcome, Daryl, to the show today. So glad to have you in the studio with us. Hey, it's my pleasure, Adam. Glad to be here. Thank you, Chloe. Um, I will share with you, you said this is supposed to be fun. So, okay. <laughs> although I like leisure, that's not my how you pronounce my last name. It's Lashure. Oh, no. Lashure. Lashure. It's Lashure. So, I should have yes. asked that from the very beginning, Daryl. Okay. So thank you for, for correcting me on that. Because, you know, it's one of those things, especially in DE&I, getting names right is an important part of that relationship building part of it, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's actually Lejure. People say Lejure or Lejure. So it's actually L-E-S-U-R-E, Lejure. I know a lot of Lejure. So I actually should have introduced him because, yes, like from being from Louisiana and Texas, like. Oh, so sure. Of course. Many, so of course. Many. So, yes. Common last name. <laughs> yes. Very, yeah, very, very common. My my wife actually suffered from that, too. Her maiden name was Wiest, W-I-E-S-T. Her family's from Germany. So she'd always get Weist, West. People would just give up on it. So, you know, she was always she was glad when we married her last name became more. Right. She's like, this is amazing. Nobody can misspell this. She steps up to the first countertop. She goes, hi, I'm Mrs. Moore. And they go with one O or two. And she's like, for real. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same with my last name. People can't seem to get Gidry correct. You know, yeah. yeah. So I yeah. think it's easy. But some sometimes people say get dry or, oh. or, um, I, I don't even know. Sometimes I'm like, how did you even get that from? Yeah, well, where did this, you come from with that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. But on that topic and, and right. getting, and getting back onto back script, on script, Darryl, you're welcome. That's my job on this show. Daryl, we are so happy to have you today. And we want to hear all about the great work that you're doing at Chick-fil-A. I wanted to kind of first start off, um, we want to, obviously, everyone knows what Chick-fil-A is in this conversation, but we also, we don't want to make the assumption that everybody has access to Chick-fil-A or that they know who Chick-fil-A is. So tell us right. who Chick-fil-A is at, at its core. We are a privately held uh, family business, third generation. 
True and Kathy founded our uh, restaurant company in 1946 in Hapeville, Georgia. And it started out with just a diner that had a few seats, a few tables, and he created the Chick-fil-A sandwich. And then you have what we have today, a third generation family privately held business headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Quick service restaurant. We have about 2,200, 2,300 restaurants. And we just opened in Puerto Rico. Um, wow, that's wonderful. That is great. We're in Puerto Rico. We're in Canada. So we consider that international for us. Mm-hmm. And again, we're just a growing business that wants to serve really good food to our customers and take care of team members, operators, and uh, customers. Mm. And see, I think that's really interesting. And Daryl, you bring such interesting perspective to this conversation because the key word in your opening statement was privately held firm, right? Most of the companies that Chloe and I have worked for, are working for, or have talked to on the show aren't privately held unless they're an MBE or WBE firm, right? So talking about corporate America, very few large international privately held family third generation firms, right? So you're not held to the same standards or governmental oversight, right? As a corporation or S corp. So talk to us a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So talk to us a little bit about how and, and people get it, they're like, oh, well, you're a you're a corporate firm. Of course, supplier diversity is important to you. You have to satisfy this mandate and that law and this regulation. Private corporations are outside that purview, right? But it's still an important X factor, still an important driver for Chick-fil-A. We see your commitment here in the Atlanta area. So talk to us a little bit about what is the difference, right? Why is it important for a private corporation to take supplier diversity so seriously like you guys are at Chick-fil-A? Yeah, you know, for us, we see ourselves as not just a restaurant company, even though we are. That's our primary. Uh, that's our primary business. But we see ourselves as community leaders. Our corporate purpose. Yeah. Our corporate purpose, if I'm okay to say it, it says it's to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us, and have a positive, have a positive impact on all those we come in contact with. Right. So we feel like it doesn't matter. Whatever you believe, we want to serve great food, and we also want to provide opportunity. Um, when I started, That's awesome. When I started Chick-fil-A about 23 years ago, mm. um, we did not do RFPs or bids. Mm-hmm. I came from an organization where that was pretty much commonplace, that you mm-hmm. did RFPs and bids. And Truett Kathy and the family and a lot of folks at Chick-fil-A at that time felt like what was really important is relationship. Mm-hmm. And relationship meant that you know, if we had to make a decision to remove a supplier or to add a supplier, that had major impact on not only the company's lives, but the people who work in that organization. Mm-hmm. So if we were going to remove an item from the menu, there were lives behind that because people depended on that product to basically put gas in their car or pay their mortgage. So we didn't mm-hmm. do a lot of RFPs and bids. But we, what, we, what we found out is, um, Chloe and Adam, is that you're able to do that. You're able to sustain long-term relationships, but it gets difficult because you don't open the door for other relationships. Mm. Mm. That's a good That's point. such a good point. Yeah. That's a great point. So we decided um, some years ago that we would try to put together what I would call just a real strategy mm. what supplier diversity looked like at Chick-fil-A. So mm. we're early in our journey. I won't purport that we are the uh, leaders in this area. Again, being a privately held company that was really based on relationships with suppliers. Um, we're doing a lot this year really to try to fall within the what I would call the overall global workings 
of DEI. Mm-hmm. So we have a DEI leader, yeah, um, vice president of diversity and inclusion, a guy named Eric McReynolds, who's been a Chick-fil-A. He's a Chick-fil-A veteran and he's been around mm-hmm. and supplier diversity. While it sits in supply chain, it's also an area that he's going to be mm-hmm. responsible for in terms of at least ensuring that we have the support and the budget. That's the thing. And I'm right. talking for a minute. That's the thing. If you don't have a yeah. budget and you don't have the people, then you really don't. It's hard to get anything done. Yeah, it, it yes. really is. It really is. I mean, it is a it's a financial commitment for a firm, right? Both mm-hmm. in headcount and then just the money that you need to join the different NGOs, right? And be a, a corporate sponsor and to to really kind of do the right thing inside this ecosystem of diverse suppliers. It, it does cost money. So it's not just something that people need to say, oh, we're going to start a supplier diversity program and then hope it works. I mean, you need to be, as Chloe and I say on this show all the time, intentional on the why behind why you're doing supplier diversity. Definitely. And, you know, it's been a challenge over the years in terms of getting and finding the right. I mean, we're in the food business, mm-hmm. right? There's a small segment of people who make food and packaging and apparel. And um, however, there are ways that you can support a minority business through second tier and to mm-hmm. provide innovative, yes. to provide innovative opportunities. I can think about one that I can share with you now, or you can wait and you can talk. No, no yes, please. please. We love these type of stories on this show. So, um, pre-pandemic. All of our dining rooms, obviously, were open and we have playgrounds in the dining room mm-hmm. and there's children in the dining room yeah. and there's also adults in the dining room. But typically children in playgrounds can have what I would call health accidents mm. or the health. <laughs> I think I know what that means. Thank and you. We're on a podcast. Every- so Daryl Daryl had air. air Daryl did the air quotes. Air, air and quotes. every one of us that has had children are like, oh, yes. yeah. Oh, exactly. Yes. Right away. We knew what that that was. Yes. yes. So yes. our our food accidents. Yes, yes. accidents. So our food safety team said, hey, we need to have a spill kit. And a spill kit oh. basically had it was a cleanup kit that could clean right. up bodily accidents. Anything. Anything. Any yeah. accidents. Any yeah. accidents yeah. that would occur in the dining room. And there's nobody that makes that. So that's not um, something that someone makes. A company says we're going to make spill kits. But what we did do is we were able to locate a company that is very innovative. Call us. Can I call their name or not? Of yes, course. you certainly can. Please give them a give them a shout out. It's called Assertive Industries. Okay. And basically, what I did is I explained to them the problem and I explained to them the why and the need. And then they basically figured it out. So they, they found the products. They didn't make the products, but they found the products. They found them. Yeah, they basically found the boxes and they assembled the kits. And what they did is they're based in um, Clarkston, Georgia. Oh, wow. Large, okay. Which has the largest refugee poli- uh, population in, oh. in the country. Yeah. And they were able mm-hmm. to buy, yes. they were able to uh, utilize the warehouse space and employ refugees to provide an opportunity for them to work and I love serve, that. serve as a minority supplier to chicken. Okay. This is After just... the show, I'm going to have to get more information on that. I actually live in Tucker, which is around the corner from Clarkston. Sure. And yeah. that is an amazing product. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just think about the 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 just community and the economic impact of employing those people as well. I mean, yeah. I just love these stories, Daryl, because not only are you guys helping, you know, connect with diverse suppliers, but then that them giving that contract, them winning that contract, then allowed them to employ all these refugees that probably 
wouldn't have had these opportunities otherwise. I mean, that's yep. just full circle um, impact there. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, yeah. I'll also share that um, a lot of the decisions that we made early on were not necessarily even based upon um, a company being a minority business. We selected them mm. for the right because they were able to do the yeah. right thing. Sure. And then yep. we found out later that they were a minority business before we even had a program. There's mm-hmm. one other organization called Communique USA. It's a woman by the name of Shawnee Godwin. And I saw her in the office Monday and she has been a supplier to Chick-fil-A for 20 years. So she works for oh, the marketing wow. department. They manage communications. They manage a lot of strategic projects and rollouts for us in the restaurant. Yeah. So shouts out to Shawnee and her team as well. Communique USA. Communique USA. Okay. I love wow. that. And when I'm, it ta- comes I'm with, taking when these it comes, down. I was about to say, and down. when it comes with Daryl's <laughs> kind of stamp of approval, everybody should be going, I need to talk to these two firms like today. Yeah. Yeah. But I've got a few more. So, um. <laughs> so Daryl, so since you were saying earlier that, you know, Chick-fil-A is sort of in its infancy around the supplier diversity program, talk to us a little bit about when Chick-fil-A first decided that this was an important initiative. What were some of the initial steps that, that you guys took to, kind of lay the foundation around what you wanted supplier diversity to look like and mean to Chick-fil-A? Well, believe it or not, we didn't want to have a checkoff box. So we we didn't want to have, all right, we spend this much with our overall uh, supplier community, and we need to make sure that we spend this much with suppliers Mm. or diverse suppliers. So we, we didn't want to try to whitewash anything and try to figure out how we fudge the numbers. What we, what we said we wanted to do was to provide opportunities for businesses that could grow within Chick-fil-A. Love that. So what that, mean, what that means is we actually had to do kind of a scrub, a data scrub, and we worked with another organization that helped us uh, figure out who was an actual minority supplier. So they did the legwork for us. And we found out that um, we were already doing business with several of these companies. Um, so we went with where, so let me back up. We started, again, we didn't want to whitewash numbers. We didn't want to create metrics that were unattainable. We'll put people in positions where they felt like they had to make a decision that long-term wasn't going to be right just to have a number for the year. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to kind of what we call Chick-fil-A assize it. And that meant, I love that meant, <laughs> well, Chick-fil-A assize it meant that, hey, find the right supplier again, for the right reason, make sure there's a long-term opportunity, uh, teach people how to do business with us. So one of the things we did about three or four years ago, we partnered with the Georgia Minority Supplier Development Council. And we invited probably 100 people who could or couldn't do anything for Chick-fil-A. But we brought them in from eight to basically two in the afternoon. And we had talks from uh, family members, the Kathy family members, we had a roundtable discussion with people who were already doing business with Chick-fil-A. And really the day was built on or based on how do you do business with Chick-fil-A and what is it like? Yep. I was there. That was an amazing program. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Great. So, um, you know, that's kind of where we started. I hope I'm answering your question, but the journey for us has really been do the right thing for the right reason and make, and make sure it aligns with our corporate purpose. Now, I'll stop after this. I can't tell you that some of this wasn't necessarily, some of this was escalated by what's going on in our society in the last two years. So 
the leadership team at Chick-fil-A, the Kathy family said, hey, we need to take a step back and ensure that our corporate purpose aligns with what's going on in the world and not just in the world of chicken. So again, the DE&I and just making sure that we had a concrete, solid program has probably been in the last couple of years or so. See, that's that's awesome. And and Chloe and I had an episode um, a few months after the George Floyd murder uh, where we talked about corporations and their response to that, right? And we were very much pro of like what you guys did at Chick-fil-A, right? Where the, the leadership said, sure. hey, we're not going to be the first to the podium. We're going to take a minute to kind of really understand what it means to lean in and help and not just throw money and a nice sounding statement out to the world, right? We actually yeah. found that there was much more respect for the companies that said, hey, give us a month, give us two months. And when we come back to you, we're going to have a plan. We're going to have a path forward and we're going to have a program, right? So I cannot applaud Chick-fil-A enough for that stance uh, during that time. And even now, I mean, it's not like you guys did it for a few months and said, oh, okay, mission accomplished, so, moving on. I love the perpetuality of it. Yeah, I'll veer off a little bit on the supplier diversity side. So Dan Cathy, who um, is second generation, uh, he is chairman of the board now. So he just retired. And he's a young dude, but he just retired. And his son, Andrew, is now the CEO. But Dan, um, probably four or five years ago, saw that the Mercedes-Benz Stadium was being built in the heart of Vine City and English Avenue. And Dan was challenged from the standpoint of we're building this massive stadium to kind of wine and dine and entertain. And it sits in the middle of a community that has a significant gap, wealth gap, education gap, health challenges. So Dan, along with Arthur Blank, put together what we call the West Side Future Fund, and the West Side Future Fund basically came in and helped seniors keep their homes. There's been development. Uh, we've stopped some of the predatory lending and some of the, uh, a lot of the things that have been challenging to folks in that area. And we provided job opportunities. So shout out to uh, Dan. We still meet every other Friday. That meeting is open. That meeting is open to any and everyone. We meet at the gathering spot at seven o'clock um, every other Friday. Right now it's all virtual. But he, along with Rodney Bullard, who runs the Chick-fil-A Foundation, uh, Foundation uh -huh. and, corporate, and corporate sustainability, have done significant work in this area. I love that. that. Is, that's awesome. I mean, what the Kathy family has done is just amazing. I mean, kind of going into supplier diversity, too. I remember that conversation that you were talking about, Daryl, where we all came in at seven, I mean, eight and stayed till about two. But you brought in. It might have been Andrew at the time that came in and talked about what it's like to run a family business. And, and it was a very impactful conversation for me as a supplier diversity manager and, and, and business mentor, right? Because obviously a lot of the firms that Chloe and I talk to work with are family owned, yeah. right? And can be second and third and fourth generation owned firms. They're a very large construction company in Atlanta. I think what they're on their third generation, right? When we sure, talk Russell. Yeah, Russell. Yeah, yeah. their third generation, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, but I remember Andrew coming in and saying, you know, we've stepped back and we've looked at it and you don't get a job as a Kathy coming out of college into Chick-fil-A, right? You have to go yeah. out and do something else with somebody else for a number of years. I can't remember what he said. It was like three or four years before you can come back into the Chick-fil-A fold because I realized we need the fresh ideas from the outside. And when I've been mentoring some businesses and we're talking about business continuity and all these type of things, I'm like, look, here's a lesson I learned from the Kathys and I think is brilliant. And that is send your children out into the real world after college and then bring them back in and let them bring in all those great ideas they've learned from other firms and help enrich 
your firm and your leadership and your direction. So I would just like to say that was an awesome lesson that I have used time and time again as a mentor. Thank you. Yeah, that was either Andrew or Mark, one of them. I but can't that remember. Is that is basically the deal. They graduate from college. You can't come to Chick-fil-A and work. Go figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I love so, that because, it. It, yeah, you're yeah. you're coming in with a different perspective. And yes, you need sometimes that tough love of being, you know, not with a family member to, you know, kind of get your chops professionally, because when you're in well, another environment, they're just they're not going to be handholding you like a family member no. would. Definitely no. not. No. Definitely not. No. So, you know, Daryl, one of the things that I also wanted to kind of hear from you guys, I feel like Chick-fil-A is is very much so ingrained in the community and finds innovative ways yes. to, you know, deliver value. One of the things that I love about Chick-fil-A is just the customer experience. Oh, yeah. And how you sure. guys and everything that you guys do is executed so well. You know, how do you guys continue to think about when you think about supplier diversity and innovation and customer experience? Have you thought about how we can marry, have, how Chick-fil-A can marry, you know, their existing sort of philosophies around operational excellence and helping some of the small businesses that, that, that you guys are working with and, and helping them with standing up their operational efficiencies? Yep. Um, so that is part of our program as well as we want to be mentors. Yeah. So whether, mm-hmm. whether or not you sell us a case or an ounce of anything, we at least want to be a resource to help you build and develop a solid, comprehensive business. And I think about um, some of the conversations we've had with some of the suppliers who really want to come into the door and be part of our uh, family. You know, they may not be quite ready, but they might be ready for someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so our goal really is to talk about a couple of things. So number one, again, is your corporate purpose. Why are you in business? We ask people that all right. the time. Why are you in business? Oh, did you guys hang on a second? Did everybody hear that out there in podcast land? What Daryl just said, know the why, know the why, know the why. We talk about that here all the time. Thank you, Daryl, for independently validating what Chloe and I have been saying for almost two years now. Yes. Hey, well, you say Chick-fil-A, it's my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) See, there's that 10 out of 10 customer service right there. Yes, yes. The second thing, and I look back at uh, what Truett wanted to do. So I shared that we just got to Puerto Rico. Right. And um, true, it always felt like before you get bigger, you need to get better. Oh, I like that. Before you get bigger, you got to get better. Now, that's a tagline. Yes. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So our growth and expansion could have been a lot faster, a lot more expeditious. But we really want to get better at, you know, owning 100 restaurants before you try to own 1,000 restaurants. Um, The second thing is, or third thing is, you know, the right people in the right seat on the bus. So making sure you have the right talent in place. So what you don't want to do is you don't want to lead with, hey, I'm a minority business. Employ me to do work for you. Yeah, Thank you. Definitely. Can you say that again, Daryl? Could you say that again for emphasis? You don't want to lead by saying I'm a veteran owned business. I'm a woman owned. I'm an African-American. I'm an Asian. I'm a, you don't want to lead with that. You don't want to say a minority business. This is why you need to bring me on. You want to say, hey, I can provide value. I can provide a a product and a service that will be at a value to your organization. I didn't say say cheap. I didn't say inexpensive, inexpensive. I said, you want to add value. All right. So those are three things. The other thing I challenge, it doesn't even matter if you're a minority supplier or small business. I challenge people to spend time in our restaurant right. mm-hmm. as a customer. Like that. 
And even if you want to do a more formal um, visit, I can set it up with an operator. But just go to a restaurant and sit in the dining room and observe. And what's the old adage? A problem well defined as half solved. Yes. 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 You know, I'm, we're very close to our business, so we don't see opportunities sometimes mm-hmm. that need to, or gaps that need to be filled. Mm-hmm. So I challenge people, go sit in a restaurant, look at a menu, look at what's going on in the restaurant and say, hey, here was my experience. Here's something that I can provide again that will add value to your customers. Oh, and your organization. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Daryl, because that's one of the things Chloe and I have talked to our audience about a lot, and that is know who you're talking to and understand the why behind why they want to employ you. Yeah. Right. I I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm on a trade show floor and somebody would come walking up to me in my, my old profession before my, my new job. Uh, (laughs) And the, obviously the company logo is behind me. Right. And it says banking in the title and they'll walk up and go, so what is it that you all do? And the (laughs) amount of answers I want to give that are unprofessional, I have to kind of filter through real fast. Right. Sure, and and then get back to my kind of more professional answer. But it, it blows my mind. I'm, and it's like I tell my protégés all the time. Uh, again, we're on podcasts because you can't see what I'm doing, but we all carry a smartphone. Yeah. Right. Wiki- yeah. At least Wikipedia me for 30 seconds yeah. before yeah. you talk to me. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and think about why you're stopping at the booth to even speak to them. Yeah. You know what? What is going to really make you stand out, especially if you know, I, I imagine you guys were talking to hundreds of people meeting tons of business cards. I mean, what's going to actually make someone stand out and think about that when making those introductions? And let me tell you what, you get back to your hotel room, you got a fist, a pocket full of business cards, yeah, more, sure. you know, capability statements than you'll ever read in a lifetime. And you sit yes. there at the desk at the, your hotel room, you're like, I don't remember half of who these people are or what they told me they could do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the things that help you stand out are uh, number one, your consistency, yes, the right fit and patience. Love it. So So diplomatic patience. Uh, We know what that means too. Yes. Patience. (laughs) Yes. I mean, patience. I mean, I'll be honest. I get emails and calls all the time and somebody just wants an opportunity, but you know, and I don't call it a pass, you know, the person who, uh, sends me an email or just a note of hello or have a nice weekend. I mean, it does kind of uh, jog my memory. Like, oh, I remember who they are. And, you know, it kind of stays in the forefront. They're not always selling me something, but it's kind of making a mental or just an email note yeah. of, hey, here I am. Don't forget me. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And, and the tactic on the showroom floor of what can I do today to get a contract? We're not selling used cars, people. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, Daryl, tell us a little bit about sort of the type of opportunities, um, purchasing opportunities that you guys look to find suppliers for. Or, you know, you can talk about some upcoming opportunities that suppliers may want to look out for. All right. So obviously, again, we sell food um, within the food world. There's food, there's packaging. Um, you know, if you look at our team members, there are apparel needs. There's all these different things, right? Again, we don't do a lot of RFPs, but there are opportunities that maybe you could partner with one of, with, oh, with okay. one of our existing suppliers mm-hmm. to be more granular and specific. Um, think about how much delivery has um, changed uh, our world. Yeah. Food, yeah. food delivery. Yeah. So if you think about food delivery, there's all these opportunities. So you have third-party delivery, um, you know, you have your 
major companies, your Uber Eats mm-hmm. and your DoorDash yep, and yep. all these places. I have yet to find a minority company who says I can do food delivery. Well, that's good. I'm glad you put it out there. I, I'm sure I'm sure you'll hear from some now. Yes, yes. Food delivery. Think about things of that nature. Um, what other opportunities? Uh, the car business. Um, obviously, we deal with one of our we deal with some of the largest. But again, our existing suppliers have supplier diversity programs. And, you know, I want to be a conduit conduit to help them partner with someone to do something that in the end benefits Chick-fil-A. Our innovation and um, new business team has opportunities all the time as it relates to IT work, um, staffing services. Um, we get a lot of those from time to time. But I mean, we just have, we have, a, and we're in Puerto Rico right now. I mean, think about our international business, what opportunity, and I, I mean, I could create some things, but I really want people to be somewhat ingenious to think about, hey, I know you're in Puerto Rico. Maybe I have, maybe you have some logistics function that you can help to help us manage cost. Um, what else? Um, I mean, think about, oh, we're just not a we're just not we're not a corporate office company. We're a res, we're a restaurant company. We have all these boxes out there that push food out to people in restaurants. And they're sitting on land and there's landscaping opportunities and those buildings have windows and there's window cleaning and there's maintenance services. And you know, team members don't want to have to clean up the restaurant once they're done with their shift. I mean, there's all these opportunities within the restaurants as well, but really is the core of our business. Um, because you can come to me, I can give you a contract or an agreement, and you can do something, and it would hopefully be sustainable. But the grassroots of being able to say, hey, um, in my area, in Tucker, where Adam lives, you know, there's several Chick-fil-A's. Oh, yeah. Where's Where's the person who says, hey, I want to manage all the landscaping for this, uh, for these five, six, seven, ten restaurants? Yeah, that would be amazing. You, might, you may not look at that as a significant opportunity, but I'm telling you, it is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It is. It really is. And curb appeal is. is everything. Whether you realize it as a customer or not, curb appeal makes part of our, bit, our buying decisions. Uh, real estate opportunities. I mean, there's tons of things that um, people could get involved in. And a lot of it is just bringing it to, again, go to a restaurant, sit down and think about it. I had someone, I'll stop after this. I had someone come to me and I mean, basically Adam and Chloe, they said, Hey, what can I do for you? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I that's mean, so broad. Yeah. It's like, where do you want me to start? I don't even know. And I need context around who you are and what, it's you like know, I don't what even you know to... what you do to answer that question. Mm, yeah. Hey, we're going. So on our campus, we've got about uh, 2000 people that will come and go over a period of time as we're going back into the office. Um, we have a cleaning business where someone picks up cleaning, yeah. but I'm sure our uh, bulk cleaning service. When I say clean, like your clothes, laundry. Right. Right. Oh, nice. Nice. Think about opportunities there. Dan was really big for years on shoe shining. Mm. Okay. Um, so, he was actually shining people's shoes, but he's that's not sustainable any longer. <laughs> so no. he bought a shoe shine business that would come in and shine and repair. Sh- I mean, there's all these things. We have a whole campus. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, then of course we have the restaurants. That's awesome. You just got to get ingenious again, be diligent and be patient. Yeah. 
Yeah. Diligent and patient. Those are two key watchwords to walk away with for sure. Yeah. Again, I like to use the word purport. I don't want to tell you that you can come in and sell us chicken because there is a huge undertaking. And by the way, we do have a woman owned chicken. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Been in business for many, many, many years, but that's a huge undertaking and not that it can't be done. But you're talking major infrastructure. Major, oh, yeah. Major. It sounds simple, very but it really capital. isn't. We start getting agriculture like that. No. Yeah. Very yeah. capital intensive and a lot of highly regulated with the FDA, which can be very costly as well. So. Oh, yeah. But, you know, some smaller businesses could partner with organizations like yeah. that. Correct. Sure. Sure. We see a lot of second tier and third tier opportunities. Yeah. And we have a we have a supplier council that meets, I think, quarterly. Yeah. And I actually positioned or uh, I actually um, did a um, presentation to them back in the fall of last year just to talk about their um, our need for them to partner with us to also uh, find opportunities for some of the minority suppliers. So our suppliers are on board as well. Good. And again, I used to say that we couldn't, you know, you had to be national. Well, we've gotten pretty big. So to be national means a huge undertaking, but there's regional opportunities. Right. I mean, there are some things that maybe, you know, you could do a subset. Maybe you can do 30 restaurants for us. You might not do all 2000, mm -hmm. do 30. And that's happened over the years with this as well. That's awesome. So last question for you, Daryl, you know, in terms of just, um, our other supplier diversity professionals that are listening, what's some advice that you would give to them when, considering or thinking through how do we, number one, first, first part of this jumpstart our program. And they're thinking about what this means. Um, but then two, and obviously this was, this was great for you, but how do we rally um, internally and get people behind supplier diversity? Now, obviously for Chick-fil-A, which you shared earlier, which is such a blessing is that it was a leadership decision. And so I'm sure that you didn't get as much friction along the way, but I'm, I'm sure you, maybe you have, you know, within the organization and people, you know, not wanting to adopt supplier diversity programs, but there are a lot of um, supplier diversity professionals that are struggling with that. How can you maybe shed some light on how you would address that at Chick-fil-A or how, how you guys did it? Yeah. You have to find what I would call some really good examples and use cases of, Hey, did you know they were a minority business? If they're already in your if they're already within your platform, you know, did you realize this was a minority owned business? So I've done that a couple of times. We have a major supplier that people don't realize this is a woman owned business. I didn't call their name, but people don't realize it. But their product is on their product is on an item that most people buy every day. Anyway, anyway, I've used that as an example because that's kind of my secret weapon to say, Hey, um, let me share with you that this is who. So you got to show that a good example. Number two, you've got to show. And when I say value, it's like, hey, you know what? We're paying someone else to do this as well. This company can do the same thing, same price maybe, and maybe a little bit less expensive. But again, to show value, maybe if this is a little bit less expensive. The third thing is, and this probably goes back to the, to the premise of it. You know, what's the reason? Why are you doing it? Don't whitewash yeah. it. If you can't find a real opportunity, then just wait. Yeah. Because, because the worst thing that you could do is bring on someone and you both fail. Right. Number one, they're not ready. They're not ready. 
And you didn't have the support and nor did you communicate it properly about, hey, this is what they're going to do. So to, to recap, I mean, you got to have a really good example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number two, you know, you got to be able to show this adds value to our organization so that I always like to use the term mutually profitable. They make money and we make money. It's mm-hmm. mutually profitable. And then the third thing is make sure it's the right opportunity for the right reason. And look, I don't get it right all the time and we haven't gotten it right. We, again, are an organization that is built on relationships. So early on, it wasn't so much that someone didn't want to use someone because they were a minority business. They were just so used to using their cousin and their brother-in-law and the person <laughs> right. that goes, <laughs> right. I'm sarcastic. No, say that, but that's but, it. But yeah, that's a reality. Why do I need to change? Yeah. I mean, I've been going to the same barber since uh, college. Yes. I mean, most people are resistant to change. We get comfortable and, and we get yeah, comfortable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think to a certain degree with Chick-fil-A, which I I've always loved this, is that you guys use a lot of local small businesses and the economic yes. ripple effect of that is tremendous in the city of Atlanta and in the cities that you have a presence. So, I mean, I think that you guys have probably been doing supplier diversity longer than you probably realized to a certain degree. We didn't even realize. That's the thing is we didn't even realize it. True at Kathy again. Um, you know, I'll probably veer off when I say this, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, I think the family has had a heart to do what's right yeah. for years. Yeah. So true. There's a gentleman. I just saw him last week. We just, oh, we just reopened our Hapeville dwarf house, which was true. Oh, yeah. original residence. Brand new. You got to go see. Yeah. Okay. But there was a gentleman there that worked with Truett. His name is Mr. Eddie White. Eddie White is a big Clayton County representative in uh, the educational world today. Okay. Long since retired. But Truett, he worked for Truett at the Hapeville Dwarf House. And black African-American male. And Truett saw a need where he put a can out on a countertop years ago and had people put money in there for Mr. White's education to go to Morris Brown. Oh, so cool. And what wasn't, and what wasn't there true. It supplemented. Mm. And Mr. White tells the story of he would not be where he is today. Had true. not provided an opportunity for him because true. It grew up poor as well. Mm. So this is all cyclical of, Hey, you know what? If you do the right thing, it all comes back to you. And here's a dude that started a restaurant again, 1946 in Hateville, yeah. Georgia. And now we're like, almost $18 billion in sales. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's amazing. Because he helped other people. You so. can do good and also make money. I think sometimes people don't realize that. And when you lead with good, you end up finding other companies and people that are also in alignment with that and want to do good. You gra- People gravitate towards that and start to feed off of it. And people want to support that. I mean, I think Yes, the food is amazing at Chick-fil-A, but I think also people love the brand and get behind that and know what it stands for and how much community, how much community development and community involvement that you guys are actually doing. Well, thank you. We don't want to be hubris. We just want to make sure that we're treating customers um, as best as possible to make sure they have a good experience. Yes, 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 yes. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. You guys are awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I can say it to you. It's, it's our pleasure. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) it's our pleasure. It's my pleasure as well. (laughs) Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Guidry Reed, Adam Moore, and Derek LaShore. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. And check out our previous shows and stay tuned for next time. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.